Tonight we are kicking off the 12 Anchors of Hope. And so we're also kicking off our encounter studies. And we're going to start with anchor number one, which is make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. So let me break it down from you right from the beginning. In the beginning, when God said, let there be light, he made Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect environment. Well, let's pick that up back in Genesis 2. In verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. I don't know if you, when you read this, do you realize that this is actually a wedding ceremony, that God is actually presenting Adam's wife. And the man said, Dang, God, you did a good job. But this is what he said. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife, you're wondering, well, how do you know that's the first marriage? It says Adam and his wife, this was the first marriage, were both naked and they felt no shame. So God created man and women and woman and institutes the idea of marriage between one man and one woman. God created the idea of sin between one woman and one man, only in the context of marriage, and there should be no shame attached to it. Since God first thought of the idea of sex, it should come as no surprise that he would eliminate any shame associated with it. And I love this environment. Paradise, running around naked, having a lot of sex, it's a good picture. One rule governed this life of paradise. Then something happened. The fall of man happened that affects each and every one of us. The fall of man could easily be renamed when man went and we first started playing God. The devil showed up with a lie designed to induce doubt. And he shows up and talks to the woman first. She objected. i got to give Eve some, some props here because when he showed up with a lie designed to induce doubt, the woman objected at first with the truth of what God said, which is what the Bible teaches us to do. But God said, but then the devil threw two massive lies at her that he still uses today, and he uses them on every single person that's here that's watching this teaching. Here's line number one. You're not going to die. Oh, it won't kill you. Trust me, you're not going to die. Line number two. You can be just like God. Line number two. You can be just like God. Adam and Eve believed the lies and bought into the fake news that they could become like God and do whatever they wanted to do without consequences. 
Now here's the whole deal. Where was Adam? He was with her, but he let all this happen on his watch. He's watching this whole thing with her. Adam was passive and never stepped up to lead his wife. His lack of leadership and ownership to be the priest of his home allowed outside forces to wreck his family and create a trail of hurts and issues that affect us to this day. Shame consumes them, and instead of taking personal responsibility like a man should, he tries to hide from God. That's the first thing he tries to do. God is looking not for both of them. He's looking for Adam because he was supposed to be the leader. God's looking for Adam and calling to him, not Eve, and finds them. And God asks Adam first, who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Adam blames God first for the woman he gave him, and then he blames Eve. God then turns to Eve, and she blames the devil, and God tells everyone they're cursed. Thank you, Adam and Eve, for the cursed life that we have today. Humanity has never recovered from the fall, and that is why we all need recovery, and we're all broken. Everything is broken. Nothing works right. Everything is busted in a broken world. The only thing that works right is Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and his word. We are born into sin, and we inherited a sin nature that every person who has ever lived, including you and I, have to deal with. We all need to get well from our past. We all need to get well from our sins, our hurts, our disappointments in life, and from the hurts that other people have inflicted on us. We all have issues. There are no perfect people. There are two groups of people, people who know they have problems and admit it, and people who know they have problems and won't admit it. It's called denial. It's called people who really don't want to get well. And as a pastor, I have learned that this issue of not getting well is big. It's huge. It plagues families. It plagues businesses. It plagues churches. It plagues society. I made a post earlier this week that read, I made a post in Facebook earlier this week that said, playing God is the ultimate symptom of codependency because if you're not dependent on God, which is a healthy dependency, then you naturally look for worth, significance, acceptance, security, happiness, and love in others. And if you're not rooted in Christ, then you become codependent by nature and your relationships suffer because of it. I received a response that I deleted immediately because one, I don't debate things on social media, nor do I respond to ignorance. And the response was that, well, recovery is only for people who struggle with drugs and alcohol. And there are a lot of people, including people who really aren't Christians, who don't struggle in their relationships. Really. In other words, there are perfect people running around. I'd like to meet them. I really would. If you find one, let us know. 
What do we do? We'll build a church around that person. You could all be part of leadership. It is, play, it is people playing God, thinking that they are God by running their lives without the love and the help of God who created them, who loves them, who knows of their condition, who wants to lead them, bless them, and guide their lives. That is why the first question we ask around here is, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? It's not an odd, funny, or judgmental question. In fact, it's a question that Jesus posed to a man who was an invalid for 38 years, who never really had any intention of getting well, and he was playing God. Well, let's pick it up. This story is found in the fifth chapter of John. If you have your Bibles, you want to you carry along, you want to follow along, it's going to be up on the screens. You're really going to need your Bibles during this series. You need your Bibles every time you come to encounter over the next, this 12-week lesson, we're going to cover a lot of scripture. And it starts out, here's how the story starts out. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of water. I love this story. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man was there who who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And just like this man, so many of us come up with thousands of excuses why we don't want to get well. Well, here's his response. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And we're going to pick up the response a little later down the road in tonight's teaching. But that is denial. That's not wanting to get well. And it's just like so many of us who come up with a, just a list of excuses. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's image management. And the mindset is I can't show weakness. And reaching out is a sign of weakness. I can beat this thing on my own. Maybe you've been playing God for so many years, managing your pain, trying to control other people and attempting to change your past, you don't really know what freedom looks like. So you always revert back to the destructive lifestyle that always keeps you stuck. So let me ask you, what keeps you from walking free? What do you struggle with? Anxiety, worry, panic, anger, bitterness, abuse, gambling, Alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, tobacco, pornography, sexual addiction, bigotry, lying, grief, divorce, criticism, perfectionism, procrastination. Are you a control freak? Are you a workaholic? Do you overspend, overeat, undereat? Struggle with anorexia, bulimia, relationship wounds that left you with trust issues. Do do you ever know something's wrong, but you just do it anyway? Do you ever say, i got to change my language, but you sound like the DNC on election night? That was a joke. You could laugh at that. (laughs) 
Do you often find it hard to go to sleep? Do you often find it hard to get out of bed? Do you struggle with depression? Do you battle with envy, contentment, insecurity? Got a memory that haunts you? Got some unresolved guilt that paralyzes you? Do you struggle with body image? Do you ever know the right thing to do? Just simply just don't do it. Do you live with someone who abuses you physically, sexually, maybe emotionally? Or you feel the continued effects from past traumas and abuse? Are you feeling the emptiness of shame and guilt in addition to the lack of peace as a result of a relationship that does not honor God? Do you love someone struggling with destructive behaviors such as pornography, drugs, or alcohol? Do you struggle with codependent behaviors like enabling, people-pleasing, finding yourself in relational conflict in all of most or most of your relationships? Are you in a relationship with an irrational control freak that is demanding, self-centered, and narcissistic at best? Are you frustrated with the actions of people listening to the devil and telling you that they're really hearing from God? Are you haunted by the undeniable feelings of regret from an abortion you had years ago? Do you sacrifice your identity, desires, or needs to make others feel good about themselves or just to keep the peace? And last but not least, do you live with the overwhelming pileup of shame and regrets from the mistakes of your past? If you answered yes to any of those, welcome to the human race. We all need to get well in some way. Encounter is for everybody unless you've lived a flawless life. Friends, life is tough and we live in an imperfect world where we've been hurt by other people. We've hurt ourselves and we've hurt others. We've all made mistakes. And truth is, we all need recovery. We all need repentance. And we need a solid, solid spiritual growth discipleship program pathway like the 12 anchors of hope. We need the four pillars of encounter. Discipleship, recovery, evangelism, and community. We all need a ministry like encounter where hope can be found. And while it's true that many of us have found hope, and many of us are finding freedom, Trusting in the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit by making God's word the authority of our lives, you need to know that this is a community where no perfect people are allowed. We are all in this together. You are not alone. Now, one of the reasons why I want you to read the Bible and why I love reading in the Bible, because the Bible is full of fellow strugglers like you and I. It's full of people who blew it big time. King David is one of those guys. He's one of the, I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. And if you read Psalm 32, it sort of is a summary of how miserable he was before he turned everything over to God and how he came to his senses. And he sort of writes about it. And in the middle of it, God just shows up. And here's what he says. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. He sounds excited. I'm excited. I get fired up when I read that because I know how much I've been forgiven. He says, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You know, there is something awesome when you can live your lives 
I mean in complete honesty, because I got to tell you, the alternative can be a nerve-wracking experience. Congrats on the new car. Thanks. The dealership reviews on cars.com made it easy, but... We thought it might be a little more tense. You missed the drama. Yeah. Ask him whatever you want. Okay. I think my sister's prettier than me. <laughs> Research, price, find. Let's pick it up where David says, when I refused to confess my sin and got up out of a lie detector test, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Sounds like my testimony. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. Notice how, and he says, all my guilt is gone. I love how God just combines when he forgives that he takes care of the guilt as well too. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I love this. As David's writing, God shows up. And this is the Lord speaking. The Lord says... I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. That's what God wants to do with each and every one of us. But he can't do that if we're playing God. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to all of us, but in the end, it always leads to death. So let me ask you. I just want to get real with you for just a second. Is there something that you have done, or maybe something has been done to you that you've never told another person. This is what I love about encounter. See, the more you tell someone else how you've blown it or what horrific things have been done to you, the more you're loved, the more you're accepted, the more you're respected, the more you're looked up to, because the the only response that you get when you share with someone else how you've blown it or what's happened to you is me too. This is a me too community. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You have no idea what I've done. I just want to tell you, your sin is not that special. God is not shocked at what you've done and God's not shocked at what's been done to you. This is a me too kind of place and nobody here is going to get shocked. You see, here's the important thing. It doesn't matter how bad you are, and it doesn't matter how good you are. The only thing that matters around here is how forgiven you are. Because the Bible tells us that those, that those who have been forgiven much, they love much. You see, the more forgiven you know you are, the more capacity you have to love. You understand the love that God has for you. You understand how to receive that love. You understand how to love God back. You understand how to love other people in healthier ways. And that's what encounter is all about. 
So let me ask you, because I love you, how long are you going to live with the consequences of you playing God? Because when you play God, I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, you are making yourself out to be a God when you play God. Exodus 3.20 says, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Did you ever think that that when you play God, you're breaking that? And all of us, friends, have broken this commandment at some point in our lives. Most of us break it every day when we say, thanks, but no thanks, God, I got this one. Thanks for your help, your wisdom, your guidance. Thanks for what your word says, but I think I got this one. How bad does it have to get before you have to admit and say, I need some help? How bad does that hurt, that relationship, that pain, that problem, that memory have to get before you break down and say, I want to get well? And if you're not busy covering your own tracks, here's something that denial will do to you. It'll make you compare yourself to others so that you don't have to work on you. It's called the cop-out of comparison. Here's what that looks like. You convince yourself, in other words, you rationalize, you tell yourself rational lies because the, bigger, the biggest liar in your life to you is you. You tell yourself you're fine when in reality you're a mess all the time. You convince yourself that by comparing your problems to other people's problems that you don't have a serious problem when in fact you haven't been able to manage the pain in your life for a long time. And you focus on other people all the time. Well, I'm not going to share unless they share. Well, if they don't share, they don't share. I don't like what they're sharing. I don't like what they're saying. I don't like what they're not saying. Well, they don't go deep enough for me. Well, they're too light for me. Well, they're too this. They're too that. See, the problem is when you don't take personal responsibility for your life, you'll tend to blame others around you, especially the ones you love. Because you never want to take a look at you and have God, have God search you from the inside out. And the moment you hear the word recovery, your denial kicks in and overlooks who recovery is really for. You'll convince yourself that encounter is for those people because you don't really want to get well. And let me ask you, how bad does that pain have to get before you acknowledge the denial, step out of denial, and acknowledge the pride in your life and say, I really want to get well. And let me challenge you in one other area. If you got everything under control, can you explain why you keep running, wearing yourself out with your busyness? Because if you slow down long enough, those painful memories will come back. So your addiction is busyness. How much peace do you have when you lay your head on your pillow at night? I just want to tell you today, you don't have to hit rock bottom before things start getting better. You could make the decision to get well before the bottom drops out. Let's go back to that conversation that Jesus had with the invalid at the pool. Here's the response again. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes ahead of me. And Jesus went into codependent mode and said, oh, I feel so sorry for you. 
thought they treated you that way. How dare they? He didn't do that. He wouldn't have anything to do with the guy's feeble excuses. He just simply tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walked. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. He simply gives the man three things to do to be made well. First, Jesus asked him to do the impossible. It's sort of like him to always tell us the first thing he's going to tell us to do is, is the impossible. Jesus told this man to do what he couldn't do for 38 years. Now, perhaps the guy was thinking, if this man, Jesus, tells me to get up and I can't, it must mean he intends to do something to make that possible, and I need to do what he tells me to do. This is always a critical clue people miss when they're looking to help from God because there's always something God tells us to do. Jesus tells the man to get up, and at that moment, the power of God touched him. I don't know whether he felt anything or not. All as I know is that strength came into his bones and his muscles, and by the power and grace of God, the guy could stand. Two, Jesus asked him to pick up his mat. Now, why do you think he said that? He said that so the man wouldn't make any provision for a relapse ever again. Jesus said that so the man wouldn't say something like, well, I'm healed, but I'll leave my mat here so I can come back tomorrow. Maybe you'll come back in another 38 years. And you know what? If Jesus didn't tell him to pick up his mat, he would have shown up and would have been right back into the same condition. Third, Jesus told the man to walk, which means he expected continual success. Jesus didn't tell him to take a step or two. He told him to walk. In other words, don't expect to be carried, he was saying. Get up on your feet and walk. Why is this important? Well, there are people who really have no intention of getting well, but they want the attention of other people all the time because they love the attention they get when their life is on the mat, when their life is a mess, and the fear is if I get well, who's going to notice me? Who will care about me? Who's going to help me when my life is not woe is me? Now, don't confuse the message that we all get better together and we need other people in our lives, but we need healthy people to love us enough to challenge us, to hold us accountable, to sit down with us and tell us when we're going in the wrong direction. Like Jesus does when he approaches the man at the pool after he healed him. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Let me give you some good advice. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That is a, that is a commandment out of love. See, you need friends to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. See, all you have accomplished is building more unhealthy and codependent relationships if your support team or the people in your life don't challenge you to keep coming back to encounter Keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ, your Savior, healer, lover of your soul, to compel you to live a life of radical obedience, submitting and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, making his word the authority over your life, 
being led by the Holy Spirit to empower you and to guide you into truth and to live out that truth in your life so that you can live the abundant life that he died for, that nothing in all creation will stop you and the plan of God for your life because that's what freedom is all about. And that's what we're about here at Encounter. You see, the answer's always been Jesus. There's no other answer. There's no other pathway except a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're to never take your eyes off of Jesus Christ because Jesus, if he gives you the power to rise, Jesus is going to give you the power to walk this thing out until the day that you see him face to face. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and here it is, and the sin that so easily entangles. When are you going to stop this madness of self-justification and turn from that sin and let us run the And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that And I know life is hard. So that you will not grow weary, you lose heart. You see, if you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to grow weary and you're going to lose heart. Want to know why you get tired all the time? Your eyes are off Jesus. Now let me give you a few reasons why you should consider surrendering your life to Jesus and receiving the Father's love for you. See, you have a Father who loves you more than you could ever know. You have a Father who's willing to wipe the slate clean and heal you. You have a Father who knows the plans he has for you. Plans not for disaster. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You have a Father who is fighting for you right now, who is for you, not against you. You have a father who one day will wipe away every tear from your eyes and right now is storing up all your tears in a bottle. It says in Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Friends, you have a father who's waiting for you with open arms. You have a father who throws the biggest parties when his kids come home. How great is the love the father has for us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Luke 15 has three parables. They're called the lost parables. Jesus was teaching on the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which to many of you is known as the prodigal son. Let's pick the beginning of that up in verse 11 when he says, a man had two sons. This is really a great picture of your father and how your father thinks about you, how your father loves you, how he waits for you. 
how he has compassion on you. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, I I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Let's check out this modern day story of the prodigal son. So he returned home to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine. This son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. What keeps you from getting well and celebrating on God's great dance floor and being invited to the party of the universe? Anchor number one is your starting point. Make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. And that, my friends, takes humility Because the root of playing God is pride. And we would all be wise to live out the counsel of James when he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the prodigals coming home. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he'll lift you up. Father, thank you so much for loving us despite us. That no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how long we think that we've been right when we've been wrong, no matter how far we've strayed, no matter how deep the stain of our sin is, no matter how powerful our pride is, no matter how we've hurt others, no matter how we've wasted everything away, you're still looking for us. You're willing to forgive. You're willing to throw a party. You're willing to wipe the slate clean. Give us a second chance. How could we even fathom 
mercy like that, except respond to it. We'll never understand it. And so, God, I pray that for every prodigal, for every person that's been far off, for every person that has identified a need, that tonight is the night that they make the decision to come home and get well. Minister to us now. In the power of your love and in the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name.